Welcome to The Word Podcast. I'm Seth Williams. And I'm Brendan Ward. And we're here to discuss all things local real estate, legal, title, market, and really anything else we can come up with. So stick with us on this journey as we talk about The Word. Afternoon, Mr. Ward. Hey, what's up? What's up, man? How are you? I'm, you know, living my best life over here. Living our best lives. We're back in the final ep of our buyer mini series. We, we cut it to three instead of four, which was nice. And yeah. uh, geez, if you're paying attention to Spotify, we are dropping the ball with a sabbatical through the end of June and the 4th of July. Took some vacation time. I know you did as well. And we are back ready to rip here on the Word Podcast. If, if you recall in our last mini series, I get some notes here. I just wanted to rip off. We covered a ton. We were closing it out with, um, well, we started with getting your offer accepted and the closing process and what the closing team and the attorney and the purchase and sales does. We went through about uh, different types of contingencies and all of the different types of earnest money deposits that we typically had to place and where that goes, um, which is which is called escrow, not to be confused with the escrow for your mortgage payments and your prepaid closing costs, which we spend a ton of time on. Um, and again, ov- obviously a great great time to get your local lender involved and get some estimates on all those. But in summary, those closing costs are always your prepaids, your prepaid insurance, your prepaid interest, the registry, as you said, everybody gets paid, right? The registry gets paid. None of us are doing this for free, unfortunately. Um, And so everyone, everyone uh, is a part of that closing cost Um, pocketbook. And then really we, we snugged all the initial funding. Sorry. Yes, initial funding. We got we snugged all the way up to closing day and we didn't touch it. And today we're yeah. gonna we're gonna go on. We're really close to closing. We're gonna execute a little intel about what's called the final walkthrough today. And um geez, what's closing day look like? And and really I think what would be important to kind of kick us off with, if we could, is it would be cool for you as the as the dude at the end of the deal who signs it, who signs yeah. it, gets this done for the buyers and for the sellers to talk a little bit about what I tell clients about is like kind of this 72 to 96 hour blackout period where like, you know, guys like you and I who have been steering this ship for the better part of 60 days, get in the dark a little bit where we're waiting for, as you would call it, the troll somewhere in Madison, Wisconsin (laughs) to, to push us what's called the closing package, right? So the package um, or otherwise just the package, the package, right? So yeah, you know, this, this is the cool thing. When, so when you work with a team of trusted professionals, we have all these good people like Brendan, myself, our local lenders, and we've all been rowing in the same direction. Like we also talked about last time about getting to the closing table, but eventually, you know, unfortunately, Brendan and I personally are not the ones cutting the check for you to buy this house. It's the bank. And it's not even the loan officer who really has complete control about that. They have to get it to the elusive uh, and uh, hidden quote unquote closing department. And uh, yeah. And so the consumer experience I found is always a little strange in that final week where we're 100%. Waiting, you know, they're always I, paying I, us like when's yeah. closing, right? Hey, can we do it at X time? And we're like, we don't know. You know, so right. you've been relying on us for the better part of 70 days or whatever for your deal. And now we're kind of left answerless. And so just talk about that a little bit, because I think, you know, this is probably a good segment to push to a lot of new clients as they they really don't know what to expect in that final 
final week of closing. Yeah. And this is a topic of much debate. I think at least we have internally is that, you know, we feel like we are really good at all facets of the transaction and where we internally feel like the wheels fall off the bus much to, uh, you know, assume, you know, yeah, last week, the week before, you know, much to factors way outside of our control because of how the process works, right? Like we, we, we have a lack of ability to really control and provide that user experience. So you and I spend a lot of time both on the podcast and, and off the podcast talking about like how to provide a better client experience and how to provide sort of top shelf, um, really proactive experiences for people when they're making this massive purchase. And, you know, the way the process works is that our office usually won't hear from the department, from the closer or the closing department until underwriting gives the final clear to close. Right. So you may have gotten, which happens to be clear, usually like in the four days before closing, three days before closing. Exactly. And I find that obviously if the, if the transaction timeline is tighter, like it's a faster close, we might be getting that the day before, two days before is usually what I see. And and listen, maybe I'm 24 hours removed out of the loop sometimes. So it it feels more exacerbated, but like this, this concept of clear to close means we're ready to close and issuing documents for you to sign and, and, and preliminarily getting ready to send you the, send the attorney, the closing attorney, the money to pay everything. Right. Which, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's, there's a lot of moving parts in the back end where, you know, neither the loan officer, you, your paralegal, me, my staff, like we, we can't hit the button and make that happen. We're truly at, at the, at the Liberty of the bank. Now, ideally the loan officer surely is in charge. They, they're accountable, so to speak, I think, um, leading up to making sure we get to clear to close early, right? Early enough. But even then eventually it leaves their desk like an email and it's like, not their, their, they can't, they can't push it along. So it's super weird. And and I agree. I know I'm kind of stealing some of your thunder here. Like we, we do obsess over this client experience. And I find that the ambiguity that occurs in this final week based off process that is uncontrollable to any of the key members of the deal creates some confusion. hundred percent. And it makes this. us look like we don't know what we're yeah, doing. Yeah. Right. So it's like, it, it creates this real animosity too, between like the title and the mortgage. Cause like the, the clients are coming to us saying like, how much do I have to bring to close? I want to wire the money in advance. And, and we're saying, well, we, we haven't heard from the closer yet. Right. We don't know, you know, the CD's not balanced. So there's this whole process too, that I don't even know if you know, that once I'm the sure clear I don't to close know it, enough, I don't know enough of it. Right. So yeah, like, listen, yeah. I'd, I'd like to walk through that because part of the reason we wanted to do this mini series yeah. is like, the goal is to get this content to our buyers ultimately and make right. sure they understand in full about some of these odds and ends that are going to happen during your transaction and, and, and what is controllable and predictable and what isn't. So it's to the point where now I'm just like, Hey, it's going to get weird in this last week, dude, yeah. you know, just hang on with us. We got you. Don't worry about it. But yeah, listen, you should, let's, let's have you go in depth a little bit about some of the yeah. innards um, at a high level that I think cause some of those, um, those gaps maybe at the end um, again, driven by, not us. <laughs> yeah. So, so what happens is, 
you know, generally speaking, we get, you know, once the purchase and sale is signed, the lender will send us a title order. Then in response to the title order, we send a title commitment package. First part of that title commitment package, or a massive part of that title commitment package is a draft CD. For you know the consumer that doesn't know, the CD is the closing disclosure. And there are a whole bunch of laws and rules around when these need to be disclosed, when they need to be sent. And there's usually two major milestones. Is once at the very beginning of the process, when you're working with a loan officer, you should get an initial closing disclosure. And that will have your loan estimates, all of the sort of estimated things. And then prior to closing, the bank has to send out three days before closing, a final CD or closing disclosure. This is part of the Consumer Protection Bureau. This is part of what was enacted to protect the consumer after the 2008 mortgage crisis. So that that CD has to come out so that the buyer doesn't show up at the closing and say, I can't believe this is what it costs. I didn't know, you know, right. what are these fees? So it's an... It, it, its intent is great, right? Like its intent is to make the consumer more educated, make the consumer understand what they're paying for. And, and that's great. But I think how it has gone into practice is that a lot of lenders, I don't think send the CD out until it's got that clear to close and sent to the closing department. So they haven't even looked at our draft CD until it goes to the closer. So then there's this process where our team and the closing department go back and forth trying to balance the prepaids, the fees, the initial funding of the escrow. And a lot of that is based on the the information we receive back from the municipality, right? So on every transaction, we have to order what's called the municipal lien certificate from the town in which the property or town or city, the property's in. And what this tells us is what the real estate taxes are, any other municipal charges and what what's outstanding and showing that it's either going to get paid on the day of closing or it's already paid so that we know that that buyer on the day of closing has all the taxes and municipal charges paid as of that date. But what it also does is it sets the rates for the initial funding and the prepaids on the taxes. So that's where that information comes from. So we tell the lender, then the lender comes back and says, we want this many months. And there's this back and forth until our CD matches the lender CD. Sometimes that's one draft. Sometimes it's 20. Right, it can go back and forth a number of times until everybody's on the same page. Then, once that's done and approved, then usually they release the closing package. Sometimes, you know, depending on the lender, sometimes we get the closing package a day before. Sometimes we get it while the clients are in the conference room. Right, right. So, like, it depends on the lender and what their process is. But we don't have that final number. So, what I've started working with clients on is saying you know, during this process where we're balancing with the bank, the likelihood of the number skewing one way or the the other is going to be minimal. And it's going to be a bump of like, you know, $4,000 up or down, right? So like if you have a client who is very, um, you know, proactive, you know, wants to make sure they're moving money around, wants to make sure the money's wired long in advance, wants to know what their numbers are, I've started, you know, reaching out to them saying like, here's the draft. You know, we don't have this finalized yet. We think it's going to be like three or $4,000 one way or another. So what we're going to do is we're going to have you wire us the, the money on the cash to close on the draft. And you can bring a personal check for, you know, any difference if it goes up and we'll cut you a check back if it goes down. And I think that that's really the best way to approach this. Cause sometimes 
we don't know what that final number is until we're walking into the closing room. So, you know, in an effort to try to make the experience better for the client, that's sort of the approach that I've started to take is like, let's get them in there, explain the process and let them know why we don't have the final number. And then let's give them some data point that they can start relying on. Because can you imagine buying the most expensive thing you've ever bought and you don't know how much you have to bring, right? Like you don't know if it's $100,000, you don't know if it's $4,000. I mean, hopefully throughout the process, you've got some pretty clear understanding of like the range, but you know, sometimes people don't. The gear here is to try and explain these final steps to the consumer to make sure that they understand there's, this isn't for a lack of action. There's a lot of, uh, for lack of a better word, bureaucratic, bureaucratic and compliance based things in the back end before yeah. someone is willing to literally wire out hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars for you to secure this, you know, with a few, uh, with a few signatures. So, um, yeah, that final week can be a little dodgy. Our, our aim is to keep y'all informed as best as possible through the process. So just know there's a lot going on in the back end. And obviously your point people that have been involved in the transaction the entire time are going to continue to be those point people. It's not for, it's not for lack of trying as soon as we can get you that info, the better. And I, and I agree, you know, this is, this is stressful for people. We do aim to make it as stress-free as possible. So you can predict a little bit of turbulence, like think about it. You're flying somewhere. All of a sudden that plane's shaking, you know, people are falling out of their seats. You're scared shitless. Right. But if the pilot yeah. hops on and says, hey, everybody, just want you to know we're going to be flying into some weather, hang on, buckle the seatbelts, we're going to hit some really light turbulence. You're like, all right, cool, I feel okay about this. So that's kind of our aim. That was a really good analogy. I'm just trying to uh, make sure our aim here is to educate and put the client at ease as we try to aim for better for better client service. But what, Yeah, what the, and I think coming that, up with workarounds too, right? Like, like how can we make it more comfortable for you? Because it is totally frustrating to you know make this major purchase and really not yeah. know what it's yeah. ultimately going to cost you, you know it's good advice too especially if the client has the liquidity to keep it all really easy let's say you got to come to closing with 100 grand you're waiting on that final cd and to your point yeah. maybe it's swinging 4k one way or the other hey brendan do me a favor if you can just grab a check for 105,000, make it yeah. out to such and such that so and so and here's the deal we think it's going to be too much and I'll just turn around and cut you that balance right back. And, mm-hmm. and you know, because because these need to be what we call guaranteed funds. It's got to be a wire or a bank check. And so yeah. the last thing we want when you're supposed to be running to a, a final walkthrough here, which we'll talk about in, the, in a short minute, um, yeah. you're waiting on this final figure. Going to the banks has been harder since COVID. You know, yeah. I feel like getting a bank check is harder. Um, even meeting with a teller is hard, right? So it, it's, it's... And wiring is hard, yeah, right? Yes, so like... On Bank of America, like you and I, I know bank at Bank of America for our corporate stuff. Like I had to do a wire the other day and there are four different choices. And if you're not paying attention, you could pick something that would have the money available in 10 days, right? Like that that is not good. So we actually had a client and, you know, I talked to her the other day and we talked about it a little bit more. You know, she went on, she sent the money. And ACH'd it, and we couldn't close for four days because we didn't have the money. So in Massachusetts, the lawyers, and we're not bad guys. Like, we're not trying to, like, say we don't believe in the banking system. We are not allowed to go to record or disperse the funds until we have 100% of the money included in the transaction. So, you know, that's why we say we need a cashier's check or a wire because cashier's check are good funds. We can deposit in that account. 
it will be available immediately because it's drawn on the bank, not on someone's individual account mm-hmm. or a wire hits our account. So we're you know, much more interested in, in, in having it available because it's the law and we are required to. It's not because we're like, we don't trust you. We're bad guys. We just can't right. do it. <laughs> any other and way listen, th- that's that's why if again if the buyer has the liquidity to either mm-hmm. overwire overcompensate yeah. and take some funds back at closing um mm-hmm. or or yeah get that bank check and that's what i always tell people to do but i, I get it. they really want to have the exact amount and the like but yeah. you know it can be stressful when you get a closing at 9 a.m and it's a friday and you're trying to get to record and it's uh it's is it it's registered land recorded Reg, uh, registered land yeah it's, yeah it's registered land like this thing might take a few so if if you're running around at the final walkthrough again which we'll talk about in a minute and you have to also go get a bank check and the bank's delayed now we're late on closing the attorney's schedule screwed up so listen if you can swing it guys if we registered land some of them we have to record in person so we right. can't even send that we can't even send right. the courier right. with the check until we have your check right and that's this concept of being going on record like it's physically mm-hmm. sold officially yeah. because it's logged with the registry of deeds so yeah listen best practice you know i know you're waiting as a buyer freaking out for your final number if you got the liquidity grab grab an extra 5k we know it's going to be within that we'll cut you a check the attorney the closing attorney will cut you a check back at closing and it's all gravy at the it's all the same at the end of the day so um that can also help eliminate some of that kind of waiting game uncertainty yeah. tech stress in the final 48 of closing i find but listen yeah. sometimes sometimes and i you know i've personally been there when i buy one of my first prop- properties i'm scraping up every last dollar of every bank account i've ever had to get that extra thousand and so when you get hit with that bomb at the last minute you know it's not always possible so that's mm-hmm. why you just le- lean on the closing team and they'll and they'll help you the best they yeah. can yeah and I, I think that's great advice and it's really where i've landed and i'm just like constantly pushing that now yeah good so we mentioned the final walkthrough so this is uh this is more on the realtor side of things right so as we get so part of every purchase and sales contract usually is going to allow three or four access points to the property that you are purchasing or selling um for the buyer to come through usually those are in no particular order a bank appraisal right you're going to allow the bank to come in and do a bank appraisal you're going to allow a final walkthrough, which we'll get back to. Usually another ancillary spot for measuring or a plot plan of some sort um, for the buyer to come in and, and interior, you know, just a common courtesy. Relook at everything, do a post inspection or whatever. And this is, again, all post purchase and sales. And that happens usually in a 30 to 45 day window. So you're not going to the place you're buying 75 times, inconveniencing the active seller as they pick up and move. So because it's still their house, they're, they're still living there. So this final walkthrough, usually I personally like to schedule as close to closing as possible uh, for a couple of different reasons. I mean, if you're closing at 9 a.m. on a Friday, maybe a late evening walkthrough on the night before is good. Maybe a first thing really early on Friday is good. And, and we're really just going to validate two different things. And obviously, there's going to be some intricacies of this with lease backs and the like. But we're simply validating A, the property is in the same like kind condition that it was when you submitted your offer. There's no active water stains. The water is still running. The heat still works. The AC still works and the like. And, and two, the seller's shit is out of the property. Okay. Now, obviously, as most people sell and buy or move cross country or sell and actually lease back their own existing home for a very short period of time under 60 days, um, 
you know, sometimes that's a little anticlimactic because you can't validate all of it because the seller stuff is still there. But ideally, it should be in this broom swept clean condition with all fixtures, aka light fixtures that were installed or the appropriate appliances listed. They're all still there and, and really junk removed. And so I like to do it as close to closing as possible because God forbid on a day like today when it's 90 some odd degrees out, if we went the night before and the AC was off, it was a little bit cooler out today. It's not working. We're not going to, we're not going to know that. or We're not gonna have the time to sit around and see if it cools down appropriately. Um, and obviously I, like, I think we've had, we've had clients over the years, not my personally, but I've heard of stories of clients who did the walkthrough the night before pipe burst overnight. They, they walk in post-closing to a, a cracked water pipe or something like that. So listen, the closer you can go to closing, the better, but you obviously don't want to be disruptive to the closing process at the same time. So that's a big part of closing day or the day before closing. Your realtor should really uh, organize that on your behalf. And um, listen, does every final walkthrough go perfect? Absolutely not. Um, some so of them are catastrophic. Some of them are catastrophic. Some of them result in extortion, which they shouldn't. Yeah. I had um, an extortion this week. I, I remember. Yeah. Um, I did see that successfully close. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, with, with a price concession. And... Um, and, you know, so kind of walk us through, you know, there's a good final walkthrough. All is good. Everyone shows up at the closing table, places vacated, places in broom swept condition. We here at Reference like to professionally deep clean the property. They can give it to the next person. It's just the right thing to do. You know that the buyer is going to come through unless it's new construction and they're going to deep clean the whole place. They're going to be a little skeeved out about who was there before. If we can, if we can make that a little bit nicer for that buyer, we're going to, mm -hmm. we're going to do it. And even yeah, when we represent great. the seller, it's just the right thing to do is to make sure that it's we're exceeding expectations. So, but let's say it doesn't go well, Brendan, what there's, there's usually a few different options. Why don't you walk us through those? Yeah. So, you know, I think this is where having, um, a really, you know, great realtor involved helps, right? So like we need, we need to start advocating for, you know, either a fix, either money or not closing. Right. So depending on the severity of the situation and there are different levels of issues. Right. So we may walk in. There may be trash. Right. They may not have moved out. They may have left a swing set. They may have, you know, not read the PNS. Maybe they left some junk appliances that we weren't expecting. So then it's a matter of like, all right, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to get a junk guy out here. We're going to have to either take pictures and send it to a junk guy to get a quote. So that's usually a money fix. Right. So when there's sure. stuff left. It's either the seller's going to come back and get it or the seller's realtor is going to come back and get it or, you know, or we're negotiating some sort of concession to deal with the stuff. Right. So stuff is kind of easier. Also problematic showing up and the buyer's still there. The seller's still there rather. Right. So like showing up and they haven't moved yet. A huge deal uh, can be incredibly problematic. And right. depending on what the situation is, um, can, can throw a whole bunch of things off, right? Like, especially if the buyer is already out of their other place and their movers are out front, right? Like waiting to go on record, um, that can be a problem. So then we're talking about money. We're talking about penalties. We're talking about, um, you know, all sorts of stuff. And they're probably going to leave stuff around there. It's probably going to be dirty. We're probably right. going to have to delay moving right. in. So that right. is going to have significant Arm. cost to the buyers. Yep. Right. So, you know, that's more on the problematic side than just leaving junk. Uh, yeah, there, then right. there's, you know, taking stuff we thought that would, was going to be left, right? Yeah, yeah. Typically, these aren't the most expensive things, but they have value. 
if they're appliances, the problem may be they're on back order. Uh, a lot of appliances are still not caught up. Like you can't walk into Best Buy and walk out with a refrigerator tomorrow, like depending on the model you want. If you want a good one, you're waiting a while. If you want a Sub-Zero, it's 18 months, right? So like depending on the level of the appliances, like it could be a bigger problem than than just we don't have right. one, right. right? So then, you know, depending on the realtor, the lawyers, who's involved, who's worked together before, sometimes... Sometimes I lead that discussion. Sometimes you like it all yeah. depends on a multitude of factors, right? Like you may, you may be in the weeds that day. You may have four closings. I may take that on. Yeah. I may be in the weeds that day. You may take it on. Like it depends, but right. somehow we're, we're having a discussion with the other side about how do we fix the problem? Yeah, how do we solve it? Right. Right. I, you know, it's bigger funny, ones. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, I was, no, was going to say the um, a point you just made and we've made uh, uh, several parts in this mini series is like, Man, great time to be working on a good team that's aligned, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, hitting up the lender and letting them know, hey, we might be slightly delayed. That's important because there's some legal ramifications with the money if we're not yep. closing, right? And yep. and further delays of of the paperwork and a new CD and all that stuff. If if we're package delay, re reissuing, right? yep. yep, wiring and, money back. And that's why it's always easier, usually, to perform. Right. Mm -hmm. But it, you know, mm -hmm. it, you gave a lot of examples. I wrote a few down, you know, taking items that you shouldn't have appliance issues. I just wrote a few down that I just had that I'll walk you guys through as a few examples, like a roofing yeah. issue. Um, yeah. I didn't even know, get to not, big issues. Yeah. Not, not clean yeah. chunk. Um, I had another uh, septic issue that we can walk through the, honestly, most of these, I would say nine out of 10 times. And, and, and obviously you're welcome to chime in nine out of 10 times, or at least, you know, seven out of 10 times, you can usually solve this monetarily with either a credit out of seller proceeds. So seller did not execute properly and they will kick in and maybe help with some of those prepaids that we talked about in the last series, right? Mm -hmm. um, or you can do what's called an escrow holdback, which is mm -hmm. literally the seller is going to temporarily not receive some of their funds, right? So mm -hmm. let's say uh, two rooms worth of junk was left in a worst case scenario, that's $1,000 for a junk company to come take. I'm ballparking that because I've done this a lot. Um, not every junk company, full, full disclosure, is the same. Nope. Um, shout out Red's Rubbish. We love you guys. You know, so we say it's $1,000. We maybe say let's place 1500 or 2000 just to, in a worst case scenario. Put yeah. that aside out of the seller's funds. As soon as the seller removes it or the buyer removes it on the seller's behalf, that that slush fund or the, the, the seller's funds pays someone was just beeping, pays that bill and, and we all move on. And that way the buyer can perform, get access. The seller can get their money for their closing that they're going towards or, or whatever they're doing with their funds. Usually the easiest solve is some sort of escrow. It's a lot more paperwork on, on us, I think on the back end, yeah. um, you know, but it's, it's the best from a client standpoint. A lot of the times mm -hmm. she's in that, in that example of a not vacated property, I think you and I would agree that's a, we're not performing yes. or, or we are withholding so much money yeah. yeah, to pay for uh, hypothetically lost rent or mortgage payments that are not going to be able to be made. Plus any other living accommodations, plus any type of legal fees for a significant amount of time in effort to um, get access to this property. The right thing to do, unless it's like some sort of absurd investment where maybe the buyer can make out with that hypothetical concession the the unfortunately and painful advice is let's not, let's push this off mm -hmm. um right which nobody what, wants to do no and, and you know i think that's kind of what's nice about being a, on a busy team is like we're we're gonna have 
we're going to have the clear headed uh, conversation with you as the consumer. Like, dude, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do this. This is a bad idea. You are putting yourselves in harm's way. Like, I don't want you to do it. And um, those are some pretty powerful words from a, from a, an attorney and a realtor specifically mm-hmm. when they are aligned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I almost always think that unfortunately the reality is there's probably a realtor who needs that closing money and is trying to find some baloney solution that is good for the realtor to get paid and put the client in harm's way. And that's where you see the attorney being like, that's a bad idea. And now you're not aligned and the client really doesn't know what to do. Um, I'll tell you right now, consumers out there, that's bad advice from you, from your realtor. Uh, that's bad advice. So, well, it depends. Yeah. I, I mean, it depends on what the advice is example. and what the issue yeah. is, yeah, but not yeah. vacating or not even begun to move out is like a telltale sign of a bigger Scary. issue. Yes. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. So, um, in, in massive construction problems, like the broken pipe, the, you know, water leaks, um, you know, fallen in roof, like something that is materially different than at the time you made your offer, your inspection, yeah. That is a a real problem, right? So, like, we talk yeah. about problems and, like, I, I like to call them real problems and fake problems, right? Like, fake problems are these little things that, like, people get all worked up about and posture over that are just going to get – we all know they're going to get resolved once we meet somewhere in the middle, but people yeah. make big deals. You to, guys were to supposed to, to cut the lawn and you didn't. Yeah, right. And then there are like real problems, right? Like that the porch fell off or that the front door or like the front door is gone or there was a tree that fell through the roof. Like those are are things that are going to have an impact. Did someone steal the front door to a property you were? were No, I just made that up. Okay. I'll give you a couple. I'll give you a couple of real ones that happened. Yeah. What's the craziest thing you've seen at a walkthrough? Well, the craziest thing I've seen at a walkthrough, I'd have to go back in my brain for, but. The most, the most common things I've seen recently, we did a final walkthrough just a few weeks ago and there was a little bit of water leaking. Um, yeah. and, uh, so, and we didn't have, again, we did this the night before crazy rain, coastal community. Maybe, maybe this is sideways rain. Maybe it's not, it, what it didn't, uh, show itself before. So we, we dispatched a roofer luxury of doing it the night before, uh, mm-hmm. good vendor relationships. Also the luxury of working with a good team. Um, mm-hmm. got a quick quote on what that would be, w- was able to, to get that passed on to the buyer, uh, and a credit made out of seller proceeds, kind of an easy fix. Um, the client, the client proceeded to just put a whole brand new roof on the property, which is probably the right thing to do as a homeowner and spend a little bit more money, maybe a little bit more than they should have, but, uh, sorry, sorry guys, but you know, we did at least get them the cash, uh, for, for that small repair, if they were going to repair that. Uh, one little section, right? Another one I just had, which was interesting is, um, and we see this a lot. We see this a lot during the fall and in the winter months, there's a property on septic and the seller was, we had the buyer and the seller was putting in at the seller's sole cost, a new septic system for, uh, for closing. Very standard happens all the time. Now, obviously you can't dig a giant trench and do plumbing in the dead of winter. So sometimes that either gets pushed or there's escrow arrangements and, and the like. This one was not that case. And so um, we did actually add some language to the purchase and sales originally that we wanted to make sure that the grading, because a lot of the times when they're doing new septic, they relocate it. So we were very concerned they had a nice yard before. They didn't have any plans to do a pool or anything like that. But, um, hey, we want to know where it's going. We want just like some say as to the plan. We're not going to make you reapprove it. But, you know, where is it going to go? We want to know. 
and you got to make sure you grade it to our satisfaction, right? Because we know that septic sometimes can end up in these bumpy, hilly places. And, and there was also um, a small, like kind of uh, wetlands, but stream behind. So like, if this was done wrong, it's going to create a water issue. So we mm -hmm. put that in there. Yeah. And, um, and so we and went little, to the... and, and grass problems, right? So you want to make yeah. sure that with septic that they're going to reloom or resod yeah, or hydro which, seed. Yeah. yeah, all of which we placed in the purchase and sales. So we went to the final walkthrough yeah. the morning of closing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we had just had a huge rainstorm. Um, probably about four or five inches of water in the basement. Now, mind you, we did a uh, inspection post PNS after a very rainy day. No water issue. We were there during a crazy rainstorm, no water issue. And all of a sudden now there was a, a fairly exorbitant water issue. On top of that, a ton of cellar belongings left in the basement. So now not only are these belongings in the basement, they're also soaking wet. Um, and, and, the, and the grading was poor. Not yeah. only was the grading poor, it actually was kind of poorly graded in favor of whisking water towards the house. Oh, I was going to say, it must have created is, the flooding. This is a problem, right? So yeah. um, now brand new septic, they did do the rest of the work, obviously above board. And so this was one of those options where we wanted to make sure the buyer felt super comfortable. Oh, and on top of that, in the same final walkthrough, this really happened. Uh, old, older steam furnace. That is also not older. It's actually about 10 years old where it has indirect hot water. So it's also running oil and producing hot water passively as it runs. Okay. So <laughs> the... The emergency release valve is leaking on the furnace, creating a different puddle under the furnace. And there, like a valve had gone. And so, and we knew this because we cranked the heat. Yeah. So I cranked the heat. It was, I mean, this is the middle of June. I ripped yeah. it up to 90. We need to make yeah. sure this thing turns on. Yeah. Lo and behold, water spraying everywhere. So we ended up getting a pretty sizable escrow holdback because, again, the house was vacant. My client's doing a huge renovation. This isn't the end of the world. We're not moving in tomorrow. Yeah, they still, have, they still have a place. They're renting. They're not selling. This is the right thing to do to try and do a quick holdback and yeah. uh, and solve these issues. And uh, right, wrong, or different, we got we got the holdback pretty much in, exclusively written in favor of the buyer because we had some maybe leverage you would call it. And uh, they the sellers at the end, even though they fixed a ton, um, they they still didn't really execute on the grading, and we ended up getting yeah. the vast majority of those funds released to the buyer. For them to undertake the proper grading project and do it complete to the complete to their satisfaction, so mm -hmm. maybe not might have not been the the perfect solve, but happy for the clients to basically really get what they need. And listen, like they, if you could have been in the basement in the moment, like they're freaking out. I'm like, guys, don't worry about that. We got uh, of this. course like, nothing scarier than water, right? Like, because where to come from? Where is it? Is it in right. concrete? Is it in drywall? Is it in carpet? Like, right. water freaks people out. I think yeah. more than yeah. anything else. Yeah. And so luckily, um, you know, we've been through that so many times. It's like, D I got this. Don't worry about it. Let's handle it. And, uh, and, you know, again, good partnership with, uh, with attorneys sol solves the case. Right. So um, what was the craziest final walkthrough I've ever had? You know, uh, I'm sure something will come to memory, but uh, I don't, I don't have a, uh, I, I mean, what about that story. one in Boxford where the sellers just like had no, like, <laughs> oh, dude, that was didn't a pretty move good out, one. like was, just didn't move out. Was, like that was a pretty good one. How did like, I forget about that already? Dropping bombs in the toilet. Like the whole <laughs> thing was like the grossest, most horrible 
thing. Like yeah. I felt yeah. so bad for our clients. Yeah, we had we had those clients. Um, it was just at the beginning of this year where um, a, a large house, six to nine thousand square feet, a lot of a lot of extra space, and uh, I. I think we got some inkling, if you remember, during that. They're like, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna struggle to be out on time," and we, you know, we kind of laid down the law. And I, I, I did four final walkthroughs of that. So this is a good example. I, I went up there the morning of, and just like put my eyes on the property, and they were so far from being ready to uh, to perform. So, yeah, listen, that was a that was not a that was just the most egregious one. But I think. I, I really place that on other than the seller on on one party being the realtor, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's the realtor's job to be clear like we are with our clients and explain yeah. your obligation to be out at the time of final walkthrough because it's going to be immediately thereafter on the day of closing. It doesn't matter if it's nine o'clock or at four o'clock. It's the buyer's property that day, the second it's on yeah. record. Your shit yeah. should not be in it. So, well, and I uh, think it goes back to the first part of this series that we did about like interviewing an agent, understanding the agent you work with, like having a professional that onboards you, right? Like in your onboarding of sellers, like going through what closing looks like, like in knowing that, you know, you can't be there with uh, like 10 rooms of furniture at the, at the walk, at the walkthrough, right? right? So like proper training by the agent is so important. And and as a, a, a buyer or a seller, even. Like when you're interviewing agents, you want to make sure that they're talking about these things with you and we're walking through. What does it look like? What does the process look like? Because, you know, you can't blame a seller if the agent never told them. Yeah. You know. And that's the thing I remember specifically asking that, that realtor. I go, hey, listen, yeah. I know you're, you're fed up with me right now because I'm in your ear. When was the last time you went to this property? When was the last time you, you, you told yourself, oh, I haven't been there in months? Yeah, it shows. Because you didn't get your this client ready to perform, and that is on you. It's your job as a as an agent representing sellers. Do you do a pre walkthrough walkthrough with your client? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I maybe not necessarily with the client, but like you and I have a deal that's supposed to close this week. Who knows yeah. if it's going to? Uh, it's the middle of the week. Yeah. I haven't I haven't heard anything about that yeah. closing I, coming I, up here. I thought about that about ten minutes ago while we were talking. Yep. Um. But like we like that house is vacant, so we're just doing the right thing and we're checking on it as often as possible. What if what mm-hmm. if a pipe burst in there? We wouldn't have any idea unless we were checking. It's irresponsible right. to not check on it. So yeah, listen. Um, luckily, a lot of our deals also are with um, very strategic final walkthroughs, leasebacks, and and the like. But that's why we always try and get in. Hey, hey, when are you moving? What are you doing? We want to bring in the cleaner. We're not leaving things to chance, you know. Um, so yeah, it might not be with the client, but clear expectation setting, usually within a week of closing, making sure the timeline is tight, culminating with a, a final junk removal, right? We, we like to tell clients, we don't do this for everybody, of course, you know, it depends on which, which tier you select when you, when you sell with us. But um, we want, I, I tell people, we want, we want to make it easy. I want you to take the stuff that you want to take. I want you to move it and I want you to go to your new house. Okay. And just say goodbye to the rest of the stuff, right? So when we moved the last time, we took two full junk loads out with Red's Rubbish, right? So I did that in prep of decluttering and then ultimately a final junk haul. We do the same thing for clients. You take the stuff that you want to you want to take, you're going to throw out the rest, let us handle it, and, uh, you know, don't leave 17 dumpsters in your house. I'm going to bill you. But, you know, we do some complimentary work where we use our vendors to empty out the place and then we bring in a professional cleaner and ultimately 
that's how you deliver the property the right way at final closing. Cause most people have, they already have somewhere to go. Yeah. You know, so no one's selling their house without having a place to go. And it's very easy to line that place up to have both for a few days. Even mm -hmm. if we get tactical with moving your closing back a day or two mm -hmm. to make sure that it works out. So yeah, final walkthrough, really big deal. Um, mm -hmm. Do not skip it. Sometimes no. clients do skip it. And I mm -hmm. personally will go on their behalf. Um, especially again, in these use and occupancy scenarios where like, yeah, well, it doesn't seem like it makes much sense to go. Hey, listen, I'm going to go for you to set my eyes on it one more time and make sure that this place still looks, still looks good. So, yeah. Cause ultimately the client owns it at that point. Right. So, so yeah. no matter what yeah. the, what the, 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 the condition is like you own it. Yeah. So you want to check, this is your largest investment most often. Yep. So like, I don't know. Like I, I, I like to check on my investments. Yeah. Let's so, make sure, let's make sure yeah. before you own it. Like, it's like, you know, you don't take delivery of the car blind and you know, if it's all smashed up, you're not taking it. Right. So let's not do that with your house. Right. Like it's, it's yeah, a lot right. harder to get out of your house without losing yeah, money bad. in a short order than like getting out of a new car. Oh, right. So after the walkthrough, you're going to come either to my office or Seth's office or your realtor's office. And you're going to sign all this paperwork, right? It's going to, it's going to take 45 minutes to an hour. You're going to sign the same thing a million different ways. You're going to be shocked at the number of pieces of paper you have to sign. Then once everything's signed, our office goes and reviews since the title was done to make sure that the seller hasn't sold the property to anybody else and hasn't taken out any new liens or loans against the property. Once we've confirmed that and confirmed that we have all the money in our account, then and only then are we allowed to send it to the registry of deeds. So what the registry of deeds is, is a government agency. Each county has their own, their elected officials, and they're all run slightly different. There are two types of land recorded and registered way too confusing. So essentially, most of them allow us to record electronically. So what we do is we upload everything. It takes you know an hour or two for the staff at the registry to review that. And then once they accept that, you're on record. So now the, the deed has been recorded with the county and you are now the owner of record of that property. So now you'll get a call from Seth. You'll get a call from, you know, maybe an email from our office to let you know that all this is done. You can go in there, you can rip the walls down, you can rip the carpets out. You can't touch anything in the house. You really shouldn't even go in the house if your realtor gave you the keys in advance. Like you, you're not supposed to even go in until you hear from us that you're on record. Then you own the place. It's all yours. And, and yeah. I tell people, uh, you know, you should probably read it. And obviously you guys do a really good job of explaining, making the closing package fun and whatnot. But if you don't sign it all, you don't get the house. Right. So, mm. you know, not telling you that you should just breeze through it. But at that point, there should be a more than enough opportunity to review the stuff that you're kind of hopping into beforehand. So, um, so yeah, there's usually some post-closing maintenance stuff. Lean on your realtor for that. We like to give clients a little bit more info. Um, actually working on something pretty cool in the back end to opt clients into a home maintenance type program where all they simply have to do is to kind of text concierge and, and broker, you know, we'll broker on their behalf, any, uh, any service, uh, kind of post-closing, which would be pretty cool. Um, I love kind of a, that kind of a little closing gift. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. So it's something we're working on the back end, but you know, here's the deal. Like you just said, this is one of the biggest investments of your life, right? Just like your car that you bring for royal changes and the like. A lot of people forget to do this, the really basic stuff at their house, whether that be basic landscaping or, or heating and cooling maintenance and the like. Um, there's a lot to do. So lean on, lean on your, your realtor who kind of helped put you in the place 
for local vendors, they're typically a local expert. Um, we're obviously happy to help you out. And really the only other thing that it's more of a post-closing type thing, you know, we're going to send you here at reference, a copy of all your closing documents, obviously you're going to need some of those for tax purposes and the like. And so God forbid you, you misplace some of that stuff. Feel free to reach back out and we can get you some of those docs. But uh, I think there's something that's pretty important that uh, we've kind of coined the mortgage protection program. Right. Um, yeah. You think about, you know, you just, you just had a couple of people usually in a huge life moment buy something pretty big. Well, well, you know, and there's some, there's some dark stuff here, but there's a couple other, there's a couple extra big steps you should take just to be a responsible adult, like setting up your trust and your estate, setting up maybe some life insurance to make sure that your family is taken care of. Um, because now you have some, uh, some bigger bills to pay and you want to make sure you keep some important stuff, um, set up for them. So I'll let you kind of talk a little bit about that as a quick, quick, um, advertisement for lack of a better word, but it's something that we kind of encourage a lot of our clients to potentially set up a consultation with either you 30, 45, 90 day post-closing after all the dust settles partner with somebody like a Martin Conley from Northwestern mutual and learn some of your life insurance options. It's just the right thing to do to, to take care of the household. So talk about that a little bit and what are some steps that those clients could take and, and really just maybe a little bit more of the case for, for why yeah. that's so important. Yeah. So, so one of the things that I talk to all my clients about are, you know, there, there, there's two major concepts here. One is you are now buying an asset that you can't have a beneficiary form for, right? Like up until this point, you as an individual, if you are a renter or, or first time home buyer, like everything you've owned, you can just fill out a form at the institution that, that holds that asset and make sure that if you die, it goes to somebody, right? So real estate is, is very different. And, you know, we, we, we talk a lot about clients that this is really a time to review your estate plan, you know, especially if you're buying it as a non-married couple or a single individual, like you want to make sure that the world knows like what happens if anything happens to you. So that that's really the, the, the first major step for a lot of new homeowners is, you know, now you have to start thinking about estate planning and making sure that your assets travel to who they want to do or who you want them to. So talk a lot about that. Uh, we'll talk to especially non-married couples when they're buying together about like what happens if one of you dies? How do you want your interest in the property to flow? So taking title is a real big discussion point yeah. um, because there are, are, are very different ramifications if you take it one way versus the other. So, so yeah. doing proper estate planning after buying a house is really something, you know, that that is of paramount import to a lot of first time home buyers because you now have an asset that you got to deal with. The other thing is that, you know, because a large part of my practice and my background is in estate planning and trust administration and probate, like this is my passion as well. So like I'm super deep in this world and I meet with a lot of clients um, that have lost a loved one and there is nothing more um, heartbreaking to meet with, and it's, you know, statistically men typically die before women, unfortunately. Um, and, it's, and typically yeah. it's with a widow, right? Like, a, a, and, and God forbid it's a young widow or a young widower, right? So someone who's just lost their spouse, maybe they qualified for this home on both incomes and they really can't afford it without both incomes. So there's nothing right. worse than telling that couple that like, you can't afford your house, you have to sell it. So one of the things that I advise all my clients to, to really start thinking about is like, what would happen? if something happened to one of them and can the family afford to stay here? So this is a, 
a real need for a discussion on life insurance and making sure, you know, at a bare minimum that the house can be paid for on, you know, with a surviving spouse, right? So, you know, is that enough life insurance? I'll let Martin or another life insurance person have that discussion. I certainly think not. But, um, you know, at least making sure that there's a roof over the family's head and, and that they can stay in this house that you've just spent your whole time trying to buy. Um, so having a proper life insurance program, especially when when there's either one wage earner or two wage earners, right? Like if there's one wage earner and you're the stay-at-home spouse, can you afford the house without life insurance if the if the other spouse dies, even high income earners? Like maybe they just used all their life savings to put into this house, right? right. So these are all things that that, you know, unfortunately, along with home ownership comes a lot of responsibility. And, you know, it's part of making sure that your family's taken care of. And it's, you know, not something I like to think about. It's not something I want to think about. And in fact, I avoided for a while myself. And, you know, being in this world, I, I finally had to, you know, address it. Um, because it is, you know, somewhat thinking about the possibility of your own inevitability. Yeah. Yeah, listen, it's, it's super valid. And I think what a lot of people don't know is they think, you know, there's this, uh, and to be clear, we're not life insurance salespeople. We're just looking nope. over our clients, right? But yeah, there's this concept of term life insurance, which is death benefit. And then there's this concept of whole life, yeah. life insurance, which is more of a way to build wealth and maybe doesn't yeah. have the best um, uh, death benefit. But there's a couple of really cool options from, um, you know, whether it's be deep financial savings or um, ways to save money long term and build longer term wealth. And I think it's worth um, a conversation you know, again, post-closing yeah. because there's some, mm -hmm. there's some big stuff there. And yeah. I think more specifically too, as people build some equity in their asset, uh, they get more to protect and it's just something to yeah. think about. So listen, I know mm -hmm. this is a real estate show and we're talking about, uh, we're talking about buying a home and buyer console. Yeah. It's just a little bit post-closing something to think about uh, and make sure you're set up kind of long-term. So the other thing that, that I'd be remiss if I didn't say that that people should be thinking about and staying in touch with is their insurance agent, their PNC yeah, or property and casualty insurance agent, especially in Boston, where we're having massive appreciation in prices. You're not paying attention when you get your annual policy renewal and you're not looking at the the, the construction costs to rebuild. Oh, yeah. Good. Call. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I think having a comprehensive conversation, especially if you've owned your house after like three, four, five oh, years yeah. and you're in a market where there's like massive appreciation and inflation, like you may go back and look at your policy and it may be like, you may only have 200 grand to rebuild your house and it may cost 550, right? Yeah. So you want to constantly be in touch with them because this whole thing changes and it changes quite regularly. And with inflation, I bet there are a lot of people that are severely underinsured for those reconstruction costs. You also yeah. want to look at housing costs. Like what happens if your house burns? Like, are they going to pay? How much are they going to pay to put you up somewhere else while you can't live in it? You know, what are, what are the, the, the reimbursements for reconstruction? You know, is it at a hundred dollars a foot or three fifty a foot? Like if you're in right. a house like Seth lives in, which is a nice house wow, uh, wow, with wow, nice wow, finishes. Wow. Yeah. Like you want to have a little higher, right? So, you but these are things that it not not Brendan. Well, my land's worth a lot, right? My house probably isn't. Like the finishes are kind of, yeah. You know, what's important too is like um, for the investors out there, there's certain insurance policies that cover lost rent in, yeah. in, in these, uh, in these um, times of loss. And, uh, and then there's some that don't. So like the insult to injury is having, having a loss event at a property and then having to relocate tenants. And mm -hmm. you kind of now are paying for them to live elsewhere 
if you are misinsured on that, like that can be financially detrimental. So really good call um, to talk to your your insurance provider. And then obviously the joke I was making is an umbrella policy. That is a a superseding, not superseding. It's a policy that encompasses all other policies. It just provides an extra layer of additional insurance in in case of emergency uh, and the like. So um, anything else on kind of culminating the buyer process and making sure we're all um we're all kind of tight for no i think then sitting back and enjoying what you've just worked your tail off to get for you and your family right that's what yeah, it's really to, all about then you get to buy furniture all new furniture yeah and spend spend every other last dollar of your savings so and, um, and especially if you're buying right now make sure you're staying in touch with your loan officer for when the rates go down yes. so that they can refi you out and save you some money but yeah yeah, yeah great great call i think um obviously you just this content hopefully is evergreen in the sense where you can consume it three years from now, right now or, or, or tomorrow. But yeah, the reality is we're in a rate environment where they're high. And I think, um, you know, whether it's your realtor to kind of stay engaged, whether it's your closing team. Yeah. Hopefully you are paying attention even later on. I, I think, I think we're so close to it that we pay attention. We have the, the ability to refi, you know, when we see the opportunity. And I don't think the average consumer who buys once every 11 years now, is paying super close attention to that. So, you know, it's a great touch point for us realtors or us, uh, the closing parties that, it, in, that are involved to reach out to the consumer in effort to say, if anyone, if, if one of those people called me out of the blue, hey, did you know, like everyone refied during the pandemic, hopefully. And I think statistically they did. Like yeah, I can I save you a thousand dollars a month right now. Like I love you. Like yeah. talk about loyalty. Um, <laughs> so yeah, stay stay close to those folks uh, during, during that time. So, um, and listen for the folks you know, listening on or watching online, drop a comment or, or shoot us a note about uh, on, on Instagram at, at the word RE. Uh, and we'd be loving to take uh, and, and add a few different segments to this where you can um, maybe ask some questions or anything like that. I'd be happy to answer those online. And but same. So if it's, uh, you know, certainly on the legal title side, I'm happy to answer those as well. Cool. All right, man. Well, Brendan, uh, yet another wonderful uh, buyer miniseries episode. This would conclude the three-part buyer miniseries on getting ready to and bringing you through contract to closing and post-closing. Thanks for everybody who uh, listened in, and we'll catch you next time on The Word. Thanks for listening to The Word Podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. If you could take a minute and leave us a quick review, not only do reviews give us valuable feedback, but every positive review tells the algorithm to push this episode out in front of more people. If you really want to help us out, send this podcast to someone who you think would benefit. Thank you so much, and we hope to see you next time when we talk about the word.